expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Yep, it's episode 133 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where, you know, unlike the Mafia, we kind of do want you to ask us about our business. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and you're leading it for Italian to say that. Right? Hey, you're the one that bought Mafia 3 and selfied with it on Facebook. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. Just feeding that stereotype more and more. <laughs> <laughs> At least you didn't do it with a can of Chef Boy RD in your hand, too, or something. Oh. Although you've only got the one, so that would be a neat trick. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be racist. <laughs> I'm the Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia, alongside James Witham. And there's also a fad going around where people are selfieing, high fiving themselves. And I'm like, well, there's one more thing that Nick's not going to be able to do. <laughs> <laughs> not because my inability, just because I'm smart and know not to do that. <laughs> Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. I saw that on Facebook the other day, and I'm like, How, why is this even a thing? And people are doing it in the bathroom. Guess what your bathroom has, kids? Tile! Yeah, and it's like it's like saying, oh, this is a nice electrical socket. Wonder what would happen if I stuck a fork in it. Not to mention, if you've got a Galaxy Note 7, it's like dropping a goblin bomb on your foot. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, come on. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, just uh, next thing you know, you're... Your body's looking like Two-Face, and uh, yeah, it's not a pretty picture, but I mean, you know, speaking of pretty pictures, we did have an amazing time, of course, last week with Echo Kelm, who painted a pretty picture of Season 5 of Arrow. Yeah, and I mean, you've gotten to see that in the episodes of Arrow that have already come out about how it's going to evolve, and you know, we talked about Arrow last week when we reviewed it, and I think that you hit the nail right in the head. It's got a very Season 1, Season 2 vibe. It seems like it's kind of going back to its roots a little bit, so... Very interested to see how Curtis morphs into Mr. Terrific. I don't think it's much of a secret. I think everybody knows that it's happening. So I can't really wait to see uh, what that progression is like. It's been pretty fun so far. Yeah, man. Of course, this week we have a really fun show as well in store. Yeah, we've got Jake Goldman and Haley Mancini going to talk to us about Powerpuff Girls, not just from IDW Publishing, but from Cartoon Network as well. So we get to get a little bit of insight into the new Powerpuff Girls, which is really kind of different. Yeah, man, you mentioned Mafia 3 at the beginning of the show. I actually did buy Mafia 3. Of course, as you mentioned, I selfied with it. And I beat the game uh, on Wednesday night, and pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Actually, actually a good $60 buy if you're a fan of Mafia 3. If you're a fan of Grand Theft Auto and you need some some more missions like that in your life, pick up Mafia 3. It's a really, really go. damn good game. But come next, we have two new comics in our repertoire as we pull out our long boxes. That's right, kids. What we're reading is coming up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Echo Callum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's that time, as always, we pull out our long boxes. We discuss what we're reading this week. And, James, you went back and visited a friend of ours, Mr. Mark Millar. Yeah, and this is a book that we've been looking forward to for a while. I know we say that sometimes, but this one for sure, because it was a teaming up of Mark Millar and artist extraordinaire Greg Capullo for Reborn Number 1 from Image Comics. Of course, we don't want to leave out Jonathan Glapion, who did the inks for this, Fico Placencia, who did the colors, and Nate Picos of Blambot doing the letters, because... 
everybody does such a good job in this book. And basically, I'm going to say this right off the bat because, you know, we try not to spoil books uh, when we review them on the podcast because we want you to read it and, you know, form your own opinions kind of thing. We don't want to spoil any of the plot points for you. So this is going to be really difficult to review without spoiling anything. So I'm not going to, but I'm, it's going to end up in me being very vague. So I'm just going to warn you about that right off the bat. Basically, this is a story about what happens when you die. You know, where do you go when you die? Is it is it heaven? Is it hell? Is it somewhere else? And what happens when you get there? And basically, it's a story of a woman named Bonnie. You get to see she's about 80 years old at the time that you get to see her. And what you do is you get to learn a lot about her life. You know, what her life was like, the people in her life. And that's one of the things that Mark Millar does so well is he puts you into people's lives right. and really, really just makes you care about who they are. And there's a very sweet interaction. Obviously, she's 80. She's in the hospital. She's in poor health right now. Uh, so there's a very sweet interaction between her and a nurse as well that are, that's in this hospital that makes you just care about the character even more. And you get fla- obviously you get flashbacks because we're talking about her life. And then there's a moment in this book where there's like a turning point in her life. And then you kind of get to find out, you know, the whole premise of, okay, were we right about our theory about what happens when people die or don't die? Right. And man, I got to tell you what, what they do in this book. And again, I'm really trying here not to, (laughs) not to spoil anything because I want you to be able to experience these moments. What happens is so interesting. And there's even something at the beginning of this book. And the book the book starts out very, very differently from what I kind of just described. So if you look at the first few pages, you go, hey, what the hell is he talking about? You'll get it. Okay, I promise you'll get it. But when you go when you finally find out what it is that's happening, once you think about the beginning of the book, you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I wonder if that was on purpose kind now, of thing. Now sticking with the writing, is the writing by Mark, is it something that makes you think? Like it like you know, is it something that kind of like uh, it says, well, it could be this or it could be that, or is it a definitive thing? No, it's it's definitely something that makes you think. I mean, there is a definitive at the end of the book. Well, you think it's definitive. I will right. say that. You're not sure it's definitive. You think it is, but you're going to have to wait probably till issue two to find out exactly what the hell is going on here. But there is plenty of question, and it makes you... It's like one of those things where if you were with a group of friends, you discuss this. You discuss the premise of this book because it really makes you think about, you know, what happens when you die. And the other thing that I love is that... Remember Huck? When we when we reviewed Huck and we talked to him about it? Of course. Remember how you felt about Huck and the way he just built it up about how you just kind of love that character? You'll love this Bonnie character. Really? So he pretty much structures Bonnie the way, same way he did with Huck where there's this wholesome caring individual pretty yeah much. exactly and i mean and it's it's a different character for sure it's definitely not the same character i don't want people to think of that but it's the way that you're caring about this particular character and you find out why she why she's the focus and she's so important in this story towards the end of the book and there's a very heartwarming thing that happens at the end of the book as well that makes you go you know what damn it mark you done it again i like you like you've been posting on twitter lately i'm not crying i'm not crying you're crying (laughs) okay we're both crying he just has a way of just finding that emotional center in your brain and poking at it with a stick because (laughs) he just he just makes you love this so much and greg capullo the second you see the first page you smile from ear to ear because you're like 
Ah, I needed my dose of Capullo after he left Batman. <laughs> and this is it. But to see him on an image book, you know, you remember what he did with Haunt back in the day for image, and you're right. going, yeah, I wanted to see this again. So as much as you love his work on Batman, you're loving the fact that you're going to get to see him do something different this time. You know what I mean? I'm just picturing Mark, because, you know, if you go back to our interview with him, we talked about how, you know, he's up at like four or five in the morning watching infomercials with his kids. Yep. I was picturing him thinking of stories like this and looking at infomercials and probably like, how can they connect with people at four or five in the morning? So, I mean, you know, hey, the mind of a writer is, is very interesting. And again, Capullo, you know you're getting. So for, for you, I take it this is a definite pull. Oh, absolutely. I cannot wait to read more of this book. And it's not just because of, of how great Mark was with us on the show. This is a book that genuinely deserves to be in your pull box because it's a very unique story. The, the characters are great. Capullo's art is great. As a matter of fact, for Mark Millar, I need three things. I need, first of all, to get issue two right this second because I can't wait. I also need to know who the hell is going to play the leads in the Chrononauts movie coming up, Mark. <laughs> You've been Come on, for Mark. for like years. I need to know. And three, we need to get Greg on the show so we can talk to him about the amazing work on this book as well. So, Mark, I know you're listening. I need those three things from you. So if you get on that, man, I, I'd appreciate it. Well, I mean, we do know him personally. So well, yeah, that's true. I could just ask him, I guess. Get, we could just get him on the horn. <laughs> well, I guess we should ask you, since mine was a poll, what did you do this week? Well, you know me, I'm a big rock fan, James. I love rock music. I love all types of music. My musical taste is really very eclectic. I like a lot of everything. That's an understatement. Um, but one of the, yeah, one of the, uh, Biggest bands, I think, in, in rock and roll history, of course, is Kiss. I oh, mean, totally. remember back 40 years ago, they had the Kiss comic, you know, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Remember how the big thing was? It was, you know, in blood, everything was colored and stuff like that, and written their own blood and everything else. Mm -hmm. Well, Dynamite Entertainment, 40 years later, brings back Kiss with their own Kiss comic. Of course, talk about Kiss number one, and it's written by Amy Chu, the artist of my Cooper. Ball. The color is done by Shimri's Ball, and the lettering is done by Troy Petiri. Now, here's the thing, is that this story pretty much takes place kind of similar to something we know personally, Zach Kaplan, who did Eclipse, or is doing Eclipse, where something has happened with the world causing people to go underground. Oh. Now, here's the thing. You have these group of, I don't know if you want to say teenagers, but they're more... Uh, maybe early 20s, late teens. But they're, they're saying, you know what? There's got to be a reason that we can't go outside. We can't go above ground. We need to know what it's like out there. We as need long to, as it's not sandworms. Right. <laughs> we need to explore. And so pretty much, I will say this, Kiss themselves is not really in the first book. Okay. Th th this is a story pretty much like to, to describe it is there's a legend and there's something like there's a great beyond. There's something out there. We need to explore it. And then you stumble upon legends, pretty much. And Kiss are these legends, but there's not really it's not really sure how they're going to play into this story. What kind of role they're going to have? Um, because again, they're like you see them, but they're really more at like the last one to two pages. But again, it's more about the kids in this first issue and just the the searching, and it's kind of it has a very Goonies aspect to it. Ah, very cool. And and so I mean, the way that the art is done by here by by Ball, I mean, it's really clean. 
Uh, the first page in general is very detailed. You're looking at it like, wow. Uh, they're, the KISS uh, band members have their own symbols, and the symbols are very detailed, and they look nice and, and great. This, for me, I think when you look at this story now, the, like I said, the one thing is you don't know what role KISS is going to play. And the thing is, is that you can kind of in the beginning, kind of sense what was going to happen, what kind of story this was going to be, where Kiss, again, is, looks to be these legendary figures, you know, from the past and stuff mm. like that. Maybe they, how do they tie to the past and everything else besides, you know, rocking all night and partying every day, you know? And, and for me, this is a pull because the interest that most lies with me is what are they going to do with the band members? What is their, what are they going to be doing? Because remember, if you've read this book, and and or currently reading this book, the thing is, is that there is this kind of organization that's kind of keeping people in the dark. So it's kind of like, hey, will this organization, kind of these elders, if you will, kind of try to keep people in line and, and stuff like that? And is Kiss the, the key to that? We don't know, but there's a lot of interest in there. That's very interesting because when you were describing the – the setting of this book, especially the age group and stuff like that, and how Kiss doesn't really show up until the end, and you don't really know what their function's going to be. I was thinking about Generation Zero when yeah. you reviewed that, where the Zeros don't show up until the end, and you don't really know what function that they're going to serve, per se, once they actually get there, but you know that they're going to be an important part of the story going forward. And here's the thing, too, it's important, is in the art as well, is that when they're going through like these air duct systems, and they're trying to navigate their way to the surface... They see this these random KISS drawings, these these the, the KISS logo, this KISS art, and they're kind of like, well, what is this? What does this mean? Because remember, these are kids that are like in their teens and early 20s. They won't, unless they have great parents, know who KISS is. You know? Right. <laughs> what is this tape-looking thing? Is that, I think they called that a cassette. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you had to rewind it. What? What the hell? Yeah, what? I don't want to rewind it. What does that even mean? Yeah. I can't just skip to my favorite song? Why is one of the guys looking like a cat? I need to carry around a giant toaster to be able to play this thing? <laughs> what is the deal? I have to put this in this? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but I mean, for me, this is a definite poll, man. Like I said, this book is a book that pretty much is main premise is... The intrigue. Remember, this has been four decades since the Kiss comic has been around. Mm-hmm. You know, 1979, I believe, is when they really first made their appearance. I believe it was in like a Howard the Duck comic book, I believe. I think it was, yeah. And, and I mean, it's just an interesting format. I think Dynamite has something really, really well. I think they've tapped into a really nice market with this Kiss book. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Amy Chu's work, so anything by her, I'm definitely going to check it out and at least give it a couple issues. But it sounds like this one's going to be in it for the long haul. And coming up next, Supergirl is on a new network. And, of course, she has a new season on the new network. Of course, talking about the CW. Now, did the CW show more love than CBS? Find out. A review of the season two premiere of Supergirl is coming up next. This is Conor writer Ollie Masters, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I think we were all kind of worried about the future of Supergirl post-season one, but it has found new life on a network that it should have been on from the first damn place. So let's review the first season of Supergirl on the CW, which is season two. And Nick, I say that because it just seemed like in the first few minutes, you thought to yourself, man, this show should have always been on the CW. 
Oh, yeah. When you watch that first scene, of course, they kind of recap what happened at the end of season one where, hey, a new pod has crashed down to Earth. Who's in it? We do get a look at who it is. But you can just tell that there's a tonal shift in the show in a sense. And just from a sense of you can just feel that this is a network that actually cares about the show. I mean, even just in the opening from its opening credits to how it breaks in and out of commercial with the logo and everything, you can just tell that CW really cares about Supergirl. And I mean, by the way, spoiler-filled review, because that's what we do with all of our reviews of an actual show instead of, instead of a trailer or something like that, so there's going to be a ton of spoilers involved here. But, man, it, the first time we see... Let's just go... Let's just get right to it. The first time you see Tyler Heckler, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, man. I know that we're worried. I know that, you know, the, the little things on the cape were a little distracting on the suit. But the second he turns around as Clark Kent and you and you hear him talking to Perry White on the phone, I'm like, I'm sold. Done. Yeah. He had a very, I mean, he's got a lot of charisma. He's very charming. Uh, he has not only great chemistry with Supergirl, but he has, I think, a very, somebody who loved watching and grew up watching, you know, Lois and Clark, New Adventures of Superman. He had a very Dean Cain vibe about him. Yeah, Dean Cain meets Christopher Reeve, too, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. and I think that this is a Superman that people, you know, everything we said with with Dawn Justice, this is a Superman people have been wanting, I think, for a long time. They want somebody who's fun. They want a Superman who's caring, in a sense. They want a Superman who smiles and can crack jokes and stuff like that as well. And, I mean, again, that chemistry he has with Kara, I mean... It really, you can feel it. Like, you can feel as if that they are family. It's wholesome. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's wholesome. And, and I like that that's how they kind of balance things out from the movie universe. You've got a wholesome, good Superman that, by the way, kids, did not at all overshadow his cousin, Supergirl, because it was still all about Kara in this show and in this first episode. We got just enough of Superman there was a reason for him to be there when he was there. And, I mean, if you think about it, fast forward to the whole building thing. Supergirl makes the save. You know, there's a lot of things that still up the girl power in the show. So all the worries that we had, or I should say the people had, of Superman kind of taking over and this being suddenly a Superman show, not so much. Well, not just that, but I think with every scene that they had, the reason why he didn't overpower her or overshadow her just because they worked as a team. Yep. Every scene they were in together, they worked as a team. Whether it was her, him saying, hey, you know, I think I might stay here a little bit longer to learn more about my parents and just Krypton itself and everything else, seeing how you know more than I do, and vice versa when it comes to helping things out and figuring out, you know, Kara when it comes to, hey, you know, having that balanced lifestyle of personal life and superpowered life mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, they, they really complement each other very, very well. And I like that they actually introduced a, a new character as well. Actually, before I get to her, uh, I want to mention they were actually they brought up a great reason to bring Superman because they brought up the whole thing with him and Martian Manhunter. Yep, and I mean, there's friction there. We know that it has to do with, again, spoiler alert, it has to do with Kryptonite. Who's yeah. keeping it? Who discovered it? It was John Jones himself. So, and that's why Superman, that you wonder why he wasn't working with the DEO? Now you know. It's because he doesn't like the fact that, they, fact that they've got kryptonite, not just because it could hurt him, but Kara as well. Right, and of course, the new character they introduced in this episode, uh, of course, talking about Lex Luthor's sister. 
Yeah, and it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with Lena Luthor because there's been different iterations of Lena Luthor in the comics, and I know the New 52, they kind of turned her evil a little bit, and um, she turns against her brother when her brother's trying to be good and vice versa. So I definitely think that we shouldn't sell ourselves on the purity that is Lena Luthor right now because... Uh, you know the Luthors have a tendency to be a little bit underhanded and make you think one thing, and then they burn you the next minute. So, yeah, I wouldn't quite sell that just yet. Well, remember that Lex from prison tries to get her assassinated, but again, they could play into a ploy of, did he do this to make her look good? Yeah. Like, it's a part of a ploy to get, you know, she's like, oh, I changed the name of my company to, you know, L Corp and everything else like that. I changed the logo, we're going to rebrand and, re, you know, do yep. everything. So, again, there's always, you know, another step, another chip in play when it comes to the Luthors. And I think that, that was really, really interesting. I think that's something interesting as well, the dynamic. And I know people, you know, look at it as well. Is I like the fact that they kind of put the nail in the relationship between uh, James Olsen and Carr and what they actually are. I think that it was smart yeah. for them to do it early on in the first episode of season two. Because I think that they've seen the error of their ways on Arrow where they let the Felicity and Oliver thing linger too long and I think that you're still kind of seeing flashes of that but again I think they went away from that on Arrow a little bit this season and I think that we're going away from that on Supergirl and I like that that's not going to be the lingering overlying theme of the underlying theme, excuse me, of the show this season. So yeah, you get that out of the way now and we'll have to see where it evolves. I think they're going to be too busy to even worry about that anyway right. with uh, the baddie that we saw at the end of the episode there. But I do like that too. I do like that we're kind of putting that to bed now so we can focus on other things because there's plenty to focus on. Yeah, man. And I really quickly, I know, let's talk about that new baddie we talked about, you know, that we just mentioned. And, you know, it's known that Metello is going to be playing, of course, a certain role in the season. He's, of course, going to be part of the next episode and what do you what are your hopes for Metallo? I think that what I want to see from Metallo is I want to see a genuine origin story. I want to see it evolve over time uh, for, for Metallo because uh, think about it, that's a character that we've really never gotten that benefit from on any type of screen. I mean, I know he's been in some animation stuff, but this is a character that, you know, with all due respect to uh, Kara... You're going to need Superman to help defeat Metallo because Metallo has almost taken down Superman on his own as well. This is one of the baddest of the bad Superman villains. So I really hope that we get a nice origin and they explain to people why he's such a genuine threat throughout the show for people who don't really know anything about Metallo. I mean, he doesn't need to sleep, eat, or breathe now. Keep that in mind. So this is a guy that can terrorize 24-7. Pretty much, and and one thing I like about this season, at least what it looks like they're doing, is that every one of their characters, at least from one, some, at least most of their main characters that they centralize on, is growing in some sort of thing. You know, mm -hmm. Wynn, of course, is now with the DEO, helping them out. Uh, Kara is now, as we saw at the end of the episode, no longer Cat Grant's assistant. She's now going to be a reporter, mm -hmm. like her cousin. And also, hey, the story came out recently, earlier this week. James Olsen's going to be suiting up as the Guardian. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see him come in as another hero, which I'm actually kind of surprised that they're doing. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just surprised that they're doing it and doing it this soon. So I don't know if that's going to be because of Clark's influence, you know, if, if James is going to want to help out, or he just, maybe it's going to be the whole, I don't want to feel helpless anymore, like they're doing with uh, Curtis Holt on Arrow kind of thing. So it'd be very interesting to decide 
why he wants to do this. And it looks like, you know, we're building a team Supergirl now. And that that's really cool. I mean, it was just James, Wynn, and Kara at first, but it looks like we're, you know, forming a legit team Supergirl. And I think that'll be neat to see. Well, I think it's also the fact that I think James is going to look around at people saying, okay, Kara's got this, Wynn's got this, what do I have? How have I grown mm-hmm. as a person? And so I think by him coming in the Guardian, that's going to help out as well. But let's get to our ratings, man. You know, let you go first. Yeah, and the reason we're rating this is because it's a new network, so it's almost like it's a fresh start for Supergirl, isn't yep. it? And it feels like a good vibe. I mean, we very highly rated Supergirl's premiere on CBS because it was very well done. They did a very good origin of her. But you know what the CW did was they gave us a nice evolution for her, and they kept her in the spotlight in a time where it would be really, really easy to say, well, you know, we need it. We need those ratings, so... Let's make sure we put Superman front and center. They need each other for different reasons. They established that from the beginning. And you said it best, man. Their chemistry is off the charts. The the way that they used Cat Grant in this episode as well, and I think the way they'll, they'll use her throughout the season, very, very interesting. Lena Luthor giving that extra intrigue in there as well. I like it, man. I'm going to have to give this... 10 gold bars on the capes out of 10. <laughs> well, I, I will second what you just said. I like the fact that what they're doing with all these characters and these new introductions. And again, it's a fresh feel with the CW and Supergirl. Again, you when you watch the show now, you feel like, okay, there's actually a network that's totally 100% behind this. And, I mean, you know, you saw what they did last season, even though it was on CBS with the crossover with her and The Flash. I will say this. Of all the current CW shows in terms of superheroes, I think Supergirl had the best season premiere, I think, of every single one yep. of these shows on the yep. CW. Uh, I think that, the, again, the chemistry between her and Superman is great. I love the dynamic. And I just like how there's certain things that, like, they learn about each other. They make it really feel like a true family dynamic. Uh, I like the fact that there's a little bit of... You know, there was a little bit of thing with him and John Jones, and can he trust John going forward? You know, again, the Kryptonite's still stored there. He's like, I don't trust you. And, you know, as long as this is here, I'm not going to work for you guys. So, again, are we going to see kind of like conflicted Superman? We don't know. Matalo, what kind of, you know, dynamic is he going to play coming to this next season? You know, and, and how long is he going to be a part of it? We will see. Overall, I like this. I feel like the writing has been picked up a lot more. I like the fact that, again, I like the fact that they shelled the whole Jimmy and, and I know he's considered James just to be used. Jimmy and Kara are going to be dating. It's like, nope. She's like, I see it's just as friends. That's how I see it. Boom. You cut right through all that. You can focus primarily on what you want to achieve in terms of goals and how you want her and Superman to save National City going forward. This, for me... 10 out of 10 steel support beams. Ah, nice. It didn't take 10, but it did take 10 to hold up this show and give it the highest rated premiere in the eight years of the CW. Well-deserved. Well-deserved indeed. Come next, we have a plethora of nerd news to get through. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy is coming up next. Hi, I'm Castle Wingard. I'm a comic artist, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, nerds, it's time we walk around the Javits Center in New York City because it's time for what, James? Nerd news! And this week's nerd news is going to be very much 
New York Comic Con centric reason is because we didn't really, even though we posted stories on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash down nerdy from about New York Comic Con, we didn't really cover it. So let's talk about some things that went down. First thing we're going to talk about is a few trailers, and there's also a story that came out as well. But the first trailer we're going to talk about is something that's a project that has been close to me, it's something that I grew up with as a kid. You know, I'm a big fan of the Power Rangers, and we finally got. Our first teaser trailer for the Power Rangers movie. I love that we have to say teaser trailer now because regular trailers are like four minutes long. Right. So anything that's less than that is a teaser trailer. When in reality, I think we actually got quite a bit in this first trailer. We know what the tone's going to be like. You get a little look at some of the characters. We get to see Rita Repulsa. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like since you are the guy that grew up with Power Rangers, and I know this is one of, if not your biggest fandom that you have, I kind of feel like I need to slide to the side here for a second and just let you go. It's my, it is, you are right about that, it is my biggest fandom thing, I love the Power Rangers, my favorite thing in uh, nerd and and geek culture, uh, in terms of just TV, and, and just pretty much just the impact they had, but I will say this, when I first saw... The trailer. Now everybody's making fun of like, oh, it's Chronicle 2, or it feels like, oh, it's a Fantastic Four trailer to talk about the reboot. Listen, I'm 28 years old. People like me who are my age, if you grew up with the Power Rangers in the 90s, our friend Matt Slay said it best when he's talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You have to go into this knowing that this movie is not for you. This movie is for a new generation of fans, and they're trying to keep the fans like us in there and, and make it a little bit more darker and stuff like that. And you also have to realize that people say, well, it's not like the show that I watched. Of course not, because it was the 90s. Things are scripted and shot a lot differently in the 90s. And I will say this. While I'm not truly a fan of them having the big superpower, mutant power things, like they're breaking off sinks and everything else like that, I do like that they are emphasizing the whole teenagers with attitude concept. And people are saying, oh, people are getting bullied and stuff like that in the trailer. And and Kimmy cuts her hair. It's like, yes, this is a different take on the Power Rangers than we've seen them before. I think that this is what Saban had to do. They had to put a different spin on this, a different spin on the characters. Again... We do get some dialogue there between them talking about how they find what looks to be probably, I mean, it's a cave, but it's probably the command center. They find the power coins, which I think still look like jelly donuts, and that actually, they could have done better with the power coins. But I think that when I saw this trailer, at first I was kind of like, okay, but then I watched it again, and I watched it again, and it caught on with me. And again, you have to go into this knowing if you grew up within the 90s, that this is not going to be one that's going to be geared towards you. This is going to be something that you have to understand. They're going a more darker route, not too dark, like the fan film that we saw and talked about uh, months ago. This is a movie that I think, you know, again, it could be good, it could be bad, we don't know. But I'm in because, sure, we didn't see Zordon, we didn't see Bill Hader as Alpha 5. But you know what? We did see Rita Pulse, as you said, James. I think Elizabeth Banks, I love the fact that she comes off more as, I mean, Rita Pulse is a witch, but she came off more as very, not seductive, but more like in the shadows kind of a type thing, where she's not like, ah, I've been free! It's like, I've been free, and I like that. I Mm -hmm. like that a lot. It's very demon-esque. 
Yeah, uh, that was what, what I kind of what I got it from a very demon esque. I'll be man, I like it. I, I was I was pretty happy when I saw this trailer. I like that they're giving it a bit of an edge. Uh, I think you brought up the point that I was going to bring up that you know this isn't going to be what you remember, and that's kind of the point. And you want to draw those new fans in, but you know that's like bitching that the Michael Keaton Batman movie wasn't like the Adam West '66 Batman right. show. You know, it's it's right. just a different vibe, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I think that. Quite frankly, you know, and as some things that fans need to understand is, and you know, I think that, you know, we can all be guilty of this sometimes, is that the thing that we loved back in the time that we loved it isn't going to necessarily work in 2016 and 2017. Yeah, and also you look at, hey, things you might visit from your childhood as an adult might not be as good. Of course, I talked to Karen oh, Ashley, yeah. who played Aisha at Taiwan Comic Con, the Yellow Ranger, and she talked about, yeah, there's some corny dialogue, some cheesy dialogue. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, granted, things nowadays still have that kind of dialogue, but when you really watch Power Rangers, it was so pun-filled and so dorky and, and cheesy. I mean, it was a kid's show, so I mean, you Yeah, know, pretty much. So, I mean, I like that they're saying, you know what, the core fans have grown up with this, but we do have to put a little bit of a different take on it. I think it works. I'm interested to see. I'm, I'm actually glad that they didn't show us the Zords in this. Yeah. I'm actually... Harvey really hopes that we just wait to see them in the movie. Like, I know it's not going to happen. We're going to get probably, like, a poster of them on top of the Zords, like, from other than the ones we already saw. You know, we're going to see the Zords in their full form and everything else like that. We're going to see that probably, I would think, like, the first big two- to five-minute trailer for this movie. But overall, I think it works for me, man. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with what I saw, any of it. I like the attitude. I like the edge. The haircutting thing, I thought that was a nice touch. I thought that that was really cool. And I just think that, you know, you, you want to grow up too, you know, you want the right. you want you want the movies and the things that you love to grow up with you, and I think this is a Power Rangers for a new generation, and I can't really wait to see what they do with it. And not only that, but people saying, "Oh, it's like Breakfast Club." Exactly, it's a teenage. It's supposed to be kind of like the way the, the last thing I'll say about before we move on to our next trailer. I view this as going to be like a teen drama meets superheroes per se and stuff like that, but it's yeah. not going to be you know team driven as people I think would think. I think this is gonna I think it's gonna be more like we'll see like with a CW show, like an arrow and or or even like a flash kind of thing. I think, I think that's exactly what they're going for. I think it's exactly what they're going for. But our next trailer we're gonna switch on over Power Rangers to Marvel, of course. We talked about Luke Cage last week. We talked to Small Miss a couple weeks ago on the show about Luke Cage. And we finally got our first full on trailer for the next edition to the Netflix Marvel's television universe library iron fist and we know that's going to be coming in march of 2017 and can we discuss the elephant in the room for a second what is the deal jeff loeb with the hallway thing I, I, did, did jeff loeb like get lucky in the hallway I, I and he has know. a fascination for him did he spend time in his youth living in a hallway or something and he's trying to I don't know. There's always a hallway fight scene did he, did he in every Netflix show. Did he repeatedly grow up, get thrown out of his apartment by his girlfriend, had to spend most of his time pleading in the hallway? Crashed Is that by why? the door, leaned right. up against his bag of stuff he was able to grab before he got tossed. Right. Kind of yeah, I know, but I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that, in, and it's always in the trailer, too. It's like, oh, well, here's the hallway fight scene. That's right. awesome. And when we reviewed Luke Cage, we talked about how this has just reeks of black exploitation and it's just this love of black exploitation. I think Iron Fist is going to 
do the same thing that Luke Cage did, but for the Kung Fu movies. Yeah. I'm talking, of course, Ip Man. I'm talking the old Jackie Chan stuff from the 90s. The old school, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I know those are really kind of still current, even though they're like 10, 20 years ago for most of them. But it's going to kind of revitalize the Bruce Lee and, and the Kung Fu, you know, genre as a whole. I think that's what it's going to do. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, Finn Jones, I mean, again, I think he's going to play an amazing Danny Rand. If you weren't sold on Finn Jones before this trailer, you should be sold on him now. He's got the look. He's obviously got the moves. I mean, I think that we've, we saw that in a little bit of the 90 seconds that we saw in this trailer. I mean, I think this is going to work out really well. You saw the fist glow, and I'm like, yeah, here we go. Let's do this. And as somebody who's been a fan, a huge fan my entire life, of martial arts movies and kung fu movies and stuff like that going all the way back to Bruce Lee. I mean, you can enjoy the like the Jean-Claude Van Damme stuff for what it's worth, but I still think Bloodsport's a really good movie. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of stuff and I think that fans like me of that and even let's throw in the ninja stuff in there. I mean, I know we got some of that with the hand and Daredevil, but it's this is different. This is going to be I think a true back to your roots kung fu type movie set in the marvel universe and set in modern times so i'm really looking forward to seeing if they can pull off that delicate balance because i've been waiting for a good kung fu style movie for a long or even show for that matter i thought into the badlands was going to do it nope so i've been waiting for something like this to come along and now you see Marvel and Netflix attached and everything that they've done up until this point. I have high hopes now. Right, and I also want to mention, too, with this trailer, is that you know you mentioned the fight sequences, the hallway fight sequences, and stuff like that. But when you look at the casting, and you just look at how Finn Jones is going to fit playing Danny Rand, this is a guy who, when you read about his preparation for this role, he studied Buddhism. I believe he's also studied stuff like Tai Chi and everything else like yep. that. All he's he studied various ancient martial arts uh, that span the globe pretty much. And he's so dedicated to this. He threw himself into this role and just the preparation for that. So that in itself has to get you excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, when you put yourself into a role like that, kind of like John Bernthal did – with the Punisher, and you saw the results there. And, you know, for everybody that complained about Finn Jones when he was cast, uh, you know... Albeit, there's stupid reasons. Right, they're very stupid reasons, and that's why we always say on this show, hey, let's at least wait till a trailer comes out before we start to pass judgment. But... I mean, what they did in this trailer is they gave us non-stop, balls-to-the-walls action almost the entire trailer, but they also gave us that calm Buddhist air like you were talking about, and then you see stuff like wielding mini axes flying around and all this other stuff, and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, man. You know, Speaking of wielding things around in terms of weapons, you know, somebody that wields a sword around, some actually pretty high-tech weapons is Ninjak, and you know, it was announced that, hey... They're going to have Valiant is teaming up with Bat and the Sun to do a Ninjak web series. We now know it's going to be called Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. Jason David Frank has been signed on to play Bloodshot. We got our first trailer, man. What do you think? I think that this isn't kind of what we expected when Valiant announced that they were going to start doing live action stuff. But at the same time, uh, I think it's a good move for them. I think it's a good way to introduce all of their characters at once because let's face it, the world is not familiar with characters like the Eternal Warrior and Exo Man of War and Bloodshot and Livewire. As much as 
we'd like to hope that they are and think that they are. They're really not. So, I mean, you look at this and you say, okay, so is this a glorified fan film or is this the real deal? I think when you see the trailer itself and you see Michael Rowe in full ninjack form, you're like, okay, it's time to start taking this Valiant, this Valiant universe seriously. And this will, I think, be a good introduction to these characters. I, when I watched the trailer, the first thing that popped out to me, just from you know a cinematic standpoint, from a technical standpoint, looking at the camera shots, possibly the type of camera they used to film this, I'm like, this really does look like a web series, like a legit web series that you would see. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. It's actually just you know, hey, we're making a web series. Let's shoot it like one. Let's make it feel like that. It's kind of when you you know I watched the whole Mortal Kombat thing. Uh, that was a web series, and then also Street Fighter as well. But this reminded me a lot more of the Nightwing fan films. Yeah, which is not a bad thing either, by the way. That was very well done by the Ismahawk guys. And, I mean, you look and you say, well, can Jason David Frank really pull off Bloodshot? Well, I mean, I think he probably could. I mean, I kind of was doubting it at first. But then you see the look in the trailer. You don't get a whole lot from it, but it looks like, okay, the look looks pretty good. Uh, you've got John, former wrestler John Morrison's going to be the Eternal Warrior. You've got uh, Derek Theller, who's going to be XO Man of War. And there's a couple more, you know, unnamed cast members that I'm sure are going to be surprises going on. But, I mean, you've got Armstrong's going to be in this, Colonel Capsha, or if you've read Book of Death, you know who these characters are. But if you haven't, this is the point. Do this now, because if you do eventually want to move into the features realm, like they seem like they want to do, I think it was Sony uh, that they were partnered up with when they made an announcement a couple years ago. If you want to do this, you have to do something to get people familiar with your characters. And I think that this is teaming up with Bat in the Sun, who's done a good job with other stuff that they have done. I think this is a good way to do that and to have Ninjak as your lead, like we were just talking about, that martial arts aspect. But Ninjak also brings that kind of a secret agent-y-esque vibe to it as well. So using him as your tentpole character, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. No, it's not. You know, as I mentioned you know, as he transitioned into this trailer, you know, he uses high-tech weaponry, you know, he's not just a, dressed as a ninja and can fight, you know, he uses high-tech weapons and stuff like that. Uh, as far as Jason David Frank goes, you know, I haven't, outside of Power Rangers, I haven't seen a lot of things, but I just know the guy's passionate about the things that he does do. And so, and as you mentioned, you know, this is the thing. Marvel, people know Iron Man, people know Hulk, so you can give them their own separate universe. You know, when they started the MCU, oh yeah, we can do Iron Man movie because people know about Iron Man. If you're a valley, you can't say, oh, we're going to do a standalone Ninjak movie because people be like, what? Because I bet you this is nothing against Valiant. Yeah. But Ninjak and Bloodshot and those characters, I think, are so they're known, but I think there's still a lot of unknown. I'm talking about the, to the casual fan. Right, the they're casual, known by us. The, the person who might not read comics goes and sees like a Spider-Man movie or Civil War or whatever. They go in there and say, oh, Ninjak, it just sounds like a B-list movie or maybe a movie they don't get a lot of promotion of. But what better way to say, you know what, let's throw in all of our characters into this web series Get some exposure, make it go viral on the web, right? And let's from there get that hype train rolling, and then say, you know what, first movie is going to be a Ninjak movie, and, and then you know and stuff like that, and just build on Bloodshot. You know, they already talked about uh, some other projects they have going on, and actually Valiant kind of swapped around some some movies that they want to do as well. But you look at at what they want to do with this, I think it's a smart move. Again, it's kind of honestly. 
even though they got a picture deal lined up, it feels very grassroots, this movement. Yeah, and good for Valiant. Props to you guys for realizing that you need to introduce fans to your characters, not just comic book fans. And even, I would have to go as far as saying diehard comic book fans for some of these characters. Not all right. of them. I think some of them are pretty well known to even the casual comic book fan. But the non-diehards, good for you for introducing your characters in this fashion. So when you do want to make that next step, you could do that, and how about this, like you were just saying, and I'll expand on it. This is dipping your toe in the water of, okay, which character is going to jump out with people? Right. Which character, or when it goes viral, or when it finally gets released, which character is going to get the most talk on social media? Who's going to get the most chatter? And then you can go from there. This is like market research, but you're actually giving your fans something tangible to look at and experience. And not only that, but and I want to bring this back to AwesomeCon DC when we saw the guy dressed as Bloodshot there at the Valiant booth. I My big hope for this is that it's such a huge success that the next time we go to a con or we see things at a con or, or whatever, from the web, it's the web or whatever, I want to see Ninjak cosplays. Oh, yeah. I want to see Faith cosplays. I want to see blood, more Bloodshot cosplays. I want to see cosplays that aren't just DC and Mar- that aren't just DC and Marvel stuff. I want and even Star Trek and even Doctor Who stuff. I want to see like you know Valiant stuff. I want to see indie stuff. I want to see you know we saw a, a while ago. Somebody cosplayed our friend Scotty Young. Somebody cosplayed as Gert from I Hate Fairyland. Right, exactly, yeah. You know, it's it's those type of characters, I think, that... Because, you know, you see a lot of Iron Man, you see a lot of Batman and stuff like that. But really, I think the, the cosplays that stand out are the ones of the characters that people might not know much about. They might know they exist, but not much and, and know the substance behind them. But, I mean, I think that when you release a, a, a web series like this, you're going to see the ninja cosplays and the bloodshots and more and the internal warriors and stuff like that. Yep. And I think that right there is just another brick in this great geek culture of ours. Not only that, but people, people that might not realize need to know that Valiant has a lot of good books, a lot of good characters, and they've been kind of on that verge. I mean, I know that they've had a lot of success, especially, and even recently, but they're right on that verge of just busting through that ceiling and becoming this worldwide phenomenon because of the characters that they have. It's almost like a volcano that's been laying dormant. You know, you're right there, you know, it's kind of bubbling up and you think, oh, it's going to erupt. And then finally, this might be the thing that helps to do that. And grabbing a guy like Michael Rowe to play your lead in Ninjak, who was a very underrated guy playing Deadshot on Arrow, this, I mean, getting a guy like that, I think, is going to very much help them in the future. And our story that we're going to talk about, James, is a comic book story. Now, we knew that, hey, Superman's son and Damian Wayne were going to get their own book, but it was supposed to come out in September, but it got delayed to February and we now know who the creative team is going to be behind it. And I think that they couldn't have made a better choice, honestly. So Super Sons is going to be written by Peter J. Tomasi, who has done a masterful job of oh, yeah. bringing Superman comics back to life. And who I love who they chose for the art, too. He's kind of a rising star, Jorge Jimenez, as well. So now that we know we're finally going to get Super Sons, what is it, February 2017? February 2017. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a comic that when it was first announced, way, way back when the Rebirth was announced, this was one of the titles that you and I kind of looked at and 
went, oh, Damian Wayne and John are finally going to team up and do something together. But what's it going to be and how's it going to come about? We've seen little bits and pieces of how they might come together. So how do you want this story to kind of go when it finally launches? Ooh, I would like to see, I mean, I know people are saying, oh, it's like a Junior's World's Finest, stuff like that. I want to see kind of, because remember, John is still, if you're reading the Superman Rebirth comics, John is still learning about his powers and just learning about himself. John, I think, is very innocent at heart. Oh, totally. Where Damien, of course, we know his story. I like to kind of see maybe a little bit of, Damien trying to corrupt John's mind and saying, we need to do things this way. We need to do things this way. And then John kind of maybe battling with himself of like, this is not how my father raised me. You know, I, I kind of like to see that, like a coming of age tale kind of thing. I, you know what I, I like to see this as? I kind of picture this as, okay, we've, we, you've seen Pinocchio, right? The animated movie. Oh, yeah, Pinocchio. yeah, yeah. Damien is the bad boy in the bar smoking a cigar and turns into a donkey John is Pinocchio. Yeah, I think that's very much, that's apt. I think that that's pretty good. I think that it's almost like, for me, it would be like a what can we learn from each other kind of thing. And I think you're going to see Damien's frustration over his vision of maybe John being sheltered a little bit by his parents and how he was just kind of thrown out there. And maybe he feels like there's a little bit of bitterness there because John kind of got to have that family dynamic that he didn't get to have kind of thing. So I think we'll see some frustration from Damien. And I think from John's standpoint, it's going to be the shock of the stuff that Damien does or can do or the things that he's experienced. It's like, whoa, what is it that I don't know here? Or maybe this is too much for me kind of thing. So I think that there's a chance that we could see some of that as well. I'd like to see a nice little mix of, of both things, actually. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. But coming up next, we're going to travel to the land of sugar, spice, and everything nice because we're going to be talking to the creative team behind IDW's Powerpuff Girls and also Cartoon Network's new Powerpuff Girls show. We're talking about Haley Mancini and Jake Goldman. They're coming up next on a Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Riddle, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, I think Nick and I would both agree that our show isn't always sugar and spice and everything nice, but this week it definitely is because we've got the writers for the Powerpuff Girls, not just for IDW Publishing, but for Cartoon Network as well. Jake Goldman and Haley Mancini, how are you doing today? Hi, thanks hey. for having us. Thanks We're for having you. us. I'm doing all right. I never, I don't like leading with great because I think otherwise it'll like trivialize the word. Well, I love trivializing words. So. <laughs> <laughs> as a writer, I'm sure that works out pretty well. Um, yeah, exactly. Now, cards on the table right from the beginning. I was not a fan of the original Powerpuff Girls show, probably because of how old I was at the time that it came this out. This interview is over! <laughs> but, uh, but I will say, and I said this in my review when I reviewed issue one, that when I read the new comic, you guys won me over oh, in a big, you. big way. So how much did you kind of try to balance humor that both adults and kids would enjoy in the show and in the comic? I mean... Generally speaking, Haley and I have the approach that if it makes us laugh, we have to put it in because yeah. and it, like I think that you want something that that will appeal to both kids and adults and ideally we're both raised on very much like Simpsons Animaniacs backgrounds. Yeah. 
So a lot of that influences a lot of our uh, humor choices. Right. And I think uh, for the show, there's, you know, there's a specific way that we like to tell stories on the show and like uh, under our amazing showrunners, Nick Jennings and Bob Boyle. And, uh, and then the comics, you know, you get to have freedom in a different direction in the comics. And so, uh, so yeah, it just kind of plays out a little differently and, the comedy, you know, you just kind of get to go more places with comics because you don't have to worry about model counts. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we get a little bit more adventurous there. While James um, didn't grow up with the original show, I did. I'm a huge fan of it. So one of the many reasons about the reason why I'm a fan is because the villains are just so out there. So what is it about them you love the most and it makes them so memorable? For me, the Mima boys constantly being terrible criminals and needing a dummy's guide for being a criminal is what makes them memorable in my book. Right. Yeah, I think with great villains, like all great characters, you kind of just want a like really specific philosophy of what they are about, even if it is just, I am Mojo Jojo. Yeah. I want to destroy Townsville and the Powerpuff Girls. You know, it's, uh, I think that like, as long as they have that like simple game and simple voice, that's like really, really clear and so fun, then you could take them to like the best places. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the Amoeba boys are just such, are such a blast. And we had a great time with them in the, in the show this season or the, you know, this first season, uh, putting them into viral spiral because they are a virus in a way. Yeah. So they get become a computer virus and they're just dumb enough to be able to be somebody's pawn and to get in there and be funny. And yeah, I, I just, I love Mojo. Um, I love in terms of some of our new villains, we really like the Bianca and Barbara's bikini, the fashionistas, because they're also just ridiculous. And, and Townsville has laid ground for us to be able to build these ridiculous villains and have fun with them. Yeah. So you can have dumb ones, you can have fashion obsessed ones and all of that. And they still work in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I actually love the pop culture references you guys throw into the comic as well, whether it was movies like Taken or dealing with the paparazzi. So do you have any favorites that you'd like to throw into future issues? I mean, we kind of talked about this off the air. We see the Godzilla statues in the background, so... Yeah, I've got... That'd be awesome. Yeah, the, I, I myself, uh, we're already trying to get a couple Speed Racer references yeah. in coming in. Mm -hmm. Basically, just for... Because that's what I grew up on, me and my dad, watching all those old stuff. Like, a lot of, like, Speed Racer and, like, Gigantor... Um, and like r the really, really old Fantastic Four cartoons. Yeah. So I like putting stuff like that in, which, you know, if, if you don't know the reference, it's still fun. If right. If you do know the reference, it's like a bonus. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things about this, uh, show is, and, and the comics as well, it says how colorful it is. So what's it like working with an artist like Derek who can just grab those colors and just make everything and just grab that so vibrant and fun? He is so... Derek is so, so amazing to work with. And particularly because for, personally for me, like one of my favorite things that he's done is the, uh, he just in terms of like single panels, I'm a in big issue three. Yeah. And issue three, I, I'm a huge fan of like, uh, screenshots in animation as well. Like I think some of the early Simpsons has some of the best like screenshots. Oh, yeah time home or being wall-eyed and everything like that. And mm -hmm. it's just like those little things. And Derek really has a mastery of that. And the, uh, there's in issue three, uh, we make reference to a Sasquatch. Uh, what that is Sasquatch has ruined everything. Sasquatch has ruined yep. everything. He does 
a terrific panel where it's kind of a cut to panel of a newspaper where Sasquatch ruins the end of movie or something like yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so the way that he posed the Sasquatch is like covering his mouth and looks embarrassed. And it's just it like every time I see it, it makes me laugh. So he gets these just in one in one panel. He hits the comedy and the story so perfectly. It's and just amazing. I think what it, it's he makes it so incredibly effortless. Yeah. Like he makes the most difficult things, he makes them palatable and clean and colorful. And he's just actually just an awesome dude in general and really he's great so to great. work with. He's so great. Which is very lucky for us because we are awful, awful people. <laughs> I mean, Jay can speak for himself on that. I'm amazing, but... Um, <laughs> no, I'm terrible. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're good with the Powerpuff Girls. As a matter of fact, Jake Goldman and Haley Mancini, writers for the Powerpuff Girls. The issues are available from IDW Publishing. Of course, you can also watch Powerpuff Girls on Cartoon Network and CartoonNetwork.com. As a matter of fact, speaking of issue three, Haley, oh, Princess wow. Moorbucks actually makes an appearance in that issue and on the show as well. And she, you know, kind of loves to show off her money and her personality and stuff like that. So do you all, <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> so do you all have something that you love to show off or something that you would buy and just kind of throw in people's faces that I could buy and throw in people's faces. Oh man. Respect. If respect were money. No, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think about it. I'm not like the funny thing is, is that I don't, I'm kind of a cheapskate. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Yay! It's I'm I am too. There we go. Yeah, there we go. I'm like, in reality, I'm like I get my clothes from like clothing swaps and stuff, and, like garage sales. So, uh, but definitely, I mean, we were talking about the Godzilla stuff. There's some there's some amazing Godzilla action figures that I would never dare to purchase because they're you know they they like start at like a hundred dollars and then they yeah. go up. So if I could really rock a whole Godzilla display case. Oh, sorry. Somebody messaged me on Facebook. <laughs> um, if, if somebody, if I could get like a full, a full wall of like those really nice Godzilla figures, that would be amazing. Nice. I thought that was just. Yeah. A, I thought that was just a ding of approval. Ding. Well, yeah, Godzilla. I got rid of Facebook. There. I, I, there anymore. I literally was just like, I kind of just want more trampolines in my life. So if I could get more trampolines. <laughs> Yeah. I would like, and I feel like because nobody has ever. Uh, well, you need to go to Iceland. Is Iceland like, I'm full of tram- you, I, we, that was Really? Like, we went over the yeah. I went over the summer. I went, I went to Annecy uh, to we did a little we, to rep the Powerpuff Girls alongside uh, Kyle Carozza with Mighty Magiswords is coming out soon and uh, and Tram. And are they big in trampolines? And so we went. Yeah. Well, after that, we went to Iceland, and I'm telling you. Everybody had a trampoline. No, I'm telling. You. <laughs> I never see anybody like, sad we, on a trampoline. Behind as a country, I was like, I want to move to Iceland because there's it's nothing but cats and trampolines, and I was like, you get those together. That's just a great time. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> don't mix those two, by the way. I hear that doesn't work out well. Yeah, it turns out they don't like it. Uh, So in the first issue of the series, of course, Mojo Jojo became a major TV celebrity. So if he was to host Saturday Night Live, who do you think (laughs) his musical guest would be? I picture this. It's Saturday Night Live with hosts Mojo Jojo and musical guests Corey Feldman. Ah! <laughs> you are understanding his genius, America. <laughs> 
I really wish that uh, Mojo. I would imagine Mojo Jojo would have Guar as his. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That would just be like Isaac Joe, and I feel like they would like lean in. They could do like no a, way. No, I, you what? know who I think he would have? Who? I think he'd choose Jewel. We're <laughs> 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 talking early Jewel, not when she started doing. No, the yeah, I stuff. think she'd come out and do like. These foolish games. <laughs> <laughs> guest. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That'd be the highest rated SNL show ever. Just oh, <laughs> Mojo Jojo and musical guest Guar oh. with Jewel. Yeah, exactly. Now that that's a combination a of, album might be I all about. I would totally wow. be. Doing, I, I just think he would totally. He, Mojo would be excited to have like a symphony back. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Weird symphony thing where you're like, why did you do that? Yeah. Uh, while Jules singing, like Guar throwing blood on the audience. Yes. <laughs> All I can see now is this is this Robert Goulet esque compilation album late night infomercial with Jules and Mojo Jojo. <laughs> Red ships of Spain playing the hit you love, such as. <laughs> I love it. You're like you know, it shows up in the next SNL book. That's like. Who was the worst? The worst guest was Mojo Jojo. (laughs) We had to name all his characters Mojo Jojo. (laughs) (laughs) Or kill the guy, too. (laughs) Him and Kristen Wiig, though, got along really well. They really did. I could see that. I could see that. And he played Chris Farley, too, which was good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, we see a lot of the girls' everyday lives in the comic and in the show itself, which I love that you guys are doing. So we get to see a little bit more of their personalities too so which of the girls do you kind of feel like could be related to or a part of your family oh I'll, yeah. th- that's easy for me because uh, I, it's Blossom yes because uh, especially with uh, her very very like cleanliness tendencies is a lot mm-hmm. like my mother who if will take photos of luggage that she has packed she delights. What? I am packing for a trip. I must take photos, not of me, but of my packing job. <laughs> not so she can judge it, but she wants to just delight in it. She's like, oh, it, I've never oh, met somebody wow. who loves packing more than my mother. Except well, for you. Well, I mean, I enjoy I enjoy organizing. There's Jake, a difference. Jake keeps keeps us uh, like all on time. He keeps everybody on time here. <laughs> I wish you guys could see, see the face that she's making right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm rarely on time, but pleasant. <laughs> well, I mean, packing is like a clothing version of Tetris, so your mom yeah. should be kind of proud of that. Yeah, it's impressive when you've achieved it. And I'm I'm probably a combo of of uh, a blossom and a bubbles. Like I like getting I like stuff that. done, but I am easily distracted by kitties. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like bubbles would be. In my, like, oh, in my family, in my family, yeah, I was the bubbles. I was yeah. the bubbles, but I was like, yeah, I was the bubbles, but like a bubbles, and but if I were the Simpsons, I'd be a Lisa. <laughs> Weird. So yeah. See, 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 for me, for me, it's more like a buttercup because every now and then you just feel like you need to punch somebody in the face. Hey, that's true. Hey, that's, right, that's that. very true. I'm the thing about Bubbles is, my, my biggest Bubbles memory was when the original show came out, there was an episode where Townsville was just encased in black and white, so she was going around coloring everything. This will be blue. This will be me. And then there's a scene where she's like, I thought my crayons were magical, but it appears they're not. And she drops them on the ground in sadness. And I just started crying. <laughs> 
Oh, it's so yeah. The, Bubbles, Bubbles is definitely the heart. She, yeah. She's so innocent. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just feels, and she makes you feel too. I just uh, also uh, love that. Like it's, I love the kid logic of it about yeah. my. I thought my crayons were magical. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, we all have. We all do. You know. I still think it. It's yes, not right. true That's- because I'm terrible at drawing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give up, pal. I decided to go into cartoons because I can't draw. One of these <laughs> days, one of your pictures will end up on the fridge. I promise. Yeah, it's going to happen. It actually did at one point, but somebody took it down. <laughs> <laughs> like, good job, Jake. When, and and then the, somebody took it down. They were like, this is obviously garbage. <laughs> What's this doing in the break room? And it's like when Haley leaves her office or whatever, the, it's like Toy Story, the Godzilla's all come to life. Yeah. <laughs> and destroy Jake's drawings. Yeah, they came there. <laughs> <laughs> they were on fire. They're just Beat up all my Deadpool plushies. This doesn't look like a dog at all. Kill it with fire. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we get you guys out of here, this you know, when it comes to the future of Powerpuff Girls, both in the TV and in the comics, what should fans, both new and current, be excited about the most? Let's see. I don't know because we get we have like a lot of really 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 exciting stuff sort of that is coming down the pipeline. I think like there's going to be uh, some really really insane fights coming up yeah, all around fights. that are really really good, and then also some pretty heavy emotion. I'm like I'm a yeah. big Futurama influenced guy, so ex- expect some really uh, stretched it. Lot of, yeah. lot of laughs and maybe even just a little bit of awes. Yeah, but don't worry, we didn't go. So There's far. no Jurassic Park. We, we yeah, exactly. We didn't leave it, the dog waiting for, for waiting a while. for fry. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> that episode murder. But yeah, yeah, I think like I to put Jake's to Jake's point. Yeah, a lot of action, a lot of heart, uh really tried to stretch the characters and their relationships. There's and there's lots of lots of weird taking a really small simple kid thing and blowing it out. Taking it to its <laughs> Get <extreme>. ready. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's just so much to look forward to. Of course, the first three issues available from IDW Publishing at your local comic book shops and IDWPublishing.com. Issue four, I believe, comes out on October the 19th. Yeah. You can also watch Powerpuff Girls on Cartoon Network, CartoonNetwork.com. Can't wait for that second season, which is going to be coming as well. Jake Goldman yep. and Haley Mancini, thank you so much for joining us to talk Powerpuff thank Girls. Thank you, guys. for having us. This was fun. So, James, I think in my office, I really need... Godzilla everywhere now because <laughs> because Haley's office is amazing. I mean, you get to see all the cool stuff that she has, and half of that cool stuff is Godzilla. I mean, she's got some. She showed us some amazing stuff that she had in her office, and and to know that you know, hey, the, that crossover. I'm just saying, IDW, the folks we know there. Uh, hey, you've got Powerpuff Girls, you've got Godzilla. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Powerpuff Girls Godzilla crossover. That'd be uh, interesting. You want to be outside the box? There's the box to be outside of. (laughs) Haley's just, I can just imagine Haley hearing this now and just pitching the idea. Why, Why not? Why not? I'm not. Hey, I'm not sure the folks at Cartoon Network will go for it. <laughs> IDW, sure. Sure. Yeah, but it was awesome talking to her and Jay Goldman, of course, Powerpuff Girls. I just got to say this, man. 
I just love, and we talked about this in the interview, I love just how colorful it is. Oh, and yeah. just the art. It has a certain innocence about it. And just, it's a fun book. And I like that it's just a mix-up of different stories. You know, Mojo Jojo and a couple other characters. It's just, you know, it's very, very interesting to see how I piece this together and just successfully piece this together. Yeah, you get Mojo Jojo, you get Princess Morbox and stuff like that. And even on the show, the show's so different from the original show. And 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 I like how they when I said I wasn't really a fan of the original show and they're like, this interview is over. Right. <laughs> but they won me but the point I was trying to make was is they won me over this new version of the comic, a new version of the show. It's one of those shows that, you know, for me I have a son, a young son who likes to watch, you know, young kid shows. And sometimes those can be hard to watch as an adult because you're like oh gosh not spongebob again or something like that right. right but in this you're getting something that as an adult there's a couple things in there for you you're going yeah, okay yeah I, I saw what you did there yeah and i think that you know when you look at the show and again i could be wrong about when i first saw this but i believe i the first time i saw this was back i want to say in the 90s and it was a uh, Car- cartoon Network used to run a show called cartoon cartoon in yep. the afternoon that's where i saw yep. Uh, Dexter's Lab. I think it's where like, a lot of shows back in the day got that start, like Dexter's Lab, Cow and Chicken. I believe Powerpuff Girls was there. I think the first episode was like them versus Fuzzy Lumpkins, I believe. You got Johnny um, Bravo, throw that in there as well. Throw that in there as well. And that's what kind of helped them spawn off and get their own shows was, was Cartoon Cartoon, which is great. And, uh, you know, so I think you look at just where it came from in the beginnings of shows like Cartoon Network has and like, how the evolution of them have, has come along. And it's very interesting. I like that they're bringing back things like Powerpuff Girls and, and stuff like that as well. And it's just, it works. This comic is amazing. Whether you're a man, a woman, a boy or a girl, you know, you, you, this book and the show just will resonate with you. It's something that, like, like I said, I'm 28, but I will gladly sit down and watch Powerpuff Girls, you know, and, yeah. and enjoy it. And, you know, not because I know people that work on the show, but because it's actually... Uh, it's a good property and it's fun. Something that I think a lot of shows might be missing uh, is heart. And and this is a show that has a lot of heart and just like, you know, the girls just want to, you know, have a big group hug with them and the professor and the mayor and everybody in Townsville. It's just, it's just, some, it's a show that you watch and you feel warm on the inside afterwards. Absolutely, and you can say the same thing about the comic. New issue, by the way, going to be hitting your local shops and digitally on October the 19th, so make sure you're watching, reading, streaming, doing whatever you need to do. Go to CartoonNetwork.com to stream the show as well. Just watch and just take in this new Powerpuff Girls because, man, you want to talk about stuff that's made for a new generation and made for 2016. This definitely fits the bill for that. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. But, hey, if you want more of us, be sure to hit us up. On social media, we're on Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. We're also on Twitter at Down Nerdy 757. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Merck with one arm, Mr. Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham, only on Twitter because nobody wants to see pictures of me. And also, you can find us... I, I agree with that. I see, there you hand. go. Exactly. So you can always find us online as well at downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find our socials on there. You can also find out ways to connect, ways to connect with the show on iTunes, on SoundCloud, you want to subscribe to us, you can do that. Read our new comic book reviews that weren't on the show, two different reviews, up at downandnerdypodcast.com. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to see your toothpaste and crusted photos of us when we were in D.C. You no. Leaving no. the toilet seat up. Ah, oh, jeez, man, come on. Why did I take a picture of that? 
I don't know. Maybe because your wife wanted to see, hey, where are you guys? And you're like, I'm in the hotel room. That, <laughs> there's a fire alarm that goes off five times a night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as always, folks, pray safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.